Oh my God, seriously? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> So, don't jump the gun, Shane. We're glad to have you back, but I don't have to over-edit you as well, mate. So just sit tight. We'll get round to you. (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll mute myself. (laughs) I'll I'll raise my hand every time I want to speak. Wow. (laughs) I mean, you're not a wife, so let's not go that far. (laughs) (laughs) We love love the female listeners as well, listeners. Watches. Listener. I don't know. I've seen our demographic. If you want me to treat you equally, then we need to get more women to listen to it. That's the thing. If you're the only Tara baby, it's down to you. You're the only one. <laughs> <laughs> we need to get you out there, bringing more women to the podcast. I mean, let me just tell you, ladies, if it is a lady listening to us, we're three very attractive middle aged men. And uh, at least one of us is unattached. <laughs> <laughs> when does middle age start? Are uh, we actually middle age? Yeah, I'd say 40s. I'd say 40s. Really? Yeah, definitely. No, nah, 40s. So I'm, like, I'm like not middle age then? Well, not in age, but outlook, I would say you're pretty close. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> Let's get down to what this episode's about. So last time it was Schwarzenegger. If if you haven't listened to that one, it's one of our best ones. It's pinned to SoundCloud and it's also available on Spotify and all your favorite listening locations. Let's get the back of house out of the way. If you're listening to us now, please do subscribe. Please do follow. And please do tell everybody how truly sparkling we are at podcasting. Because, you know, I kind of feel that we're getting there and we're not getting the, the love we deserve. Tim's feeling rotten. He's turned up for you today. Shane's here. It's past midnight in 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 England, and we're doing this not for our own self worth, not for our own love of entertainment. We're doing it for you. Click that button. Tim, how have you been? I've been um, actually really good, uh, notwithstanding today when I don't feel that great. But other than that, like pretty good. Okay, um, you just decided to be a misery guts for the episode. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, well, Let's yeah. move on to Shane. Shane, have you got anything to maybe sort of, you know, put the, the scales back on the side of fun and excitement? No. no. I work a full-time job. I've got full-time university, four-year-old son, and a wife. No. Oh, that's a handful. Oh, what, have done? Oh. what have I done, listeners? I'm trying to get you to hang around in these two grumpy Guts. <laughs> guts <laughs> Let's get on to today's topic then and see if that can't put a bit of spirit into us all. This time, now, if you don't know A24, they're kind of a big deal. They're a small, they start off as distribution, 
distribution. <laughs> you know, if you're in Italy, maybe a distribution. <laughs> distribute. If you don't know A24, they started off as a distributor and then they became a production house and they give what they called Tim. Oh, auteur. Auteurs. They allowed them to get on with a vision. And just for example, this year at the Oscars, they cleared up with everything. All the main categories, they call them the above the line categories for acting, directing and all that kind of thing. And they basically clean sweeped it with the whale and everything always, all the time, forever, <laughs> forever and always, all the time at once. So, yeah, they're, they're kind of a big deal, but they're not so much under the radar now. Now, what we're looking at specifically this time is their releases in 2021. It's a really strong year. There's some really good films. and We're going to tell you. The best and the worst of the bunch. So let's just have a quick little read through. And I'm not going to look at either of Shane or Tim's faces because I don't want them to show me any tells. I want this to be a surprise for me as well. So mm -hmm. start off, bloody North St. Maud, Minori, False Positive, Zola, Val, which was a documentary on Val, Val Kilmer, uh, The Green Knight, Lamb, The Souvenir Part 2, Come On, Come On, <laughs> Oh, damn, my poker face ain't as good as the other two, let me tell you <laughs> The Humans, Red Rocket, The Tragedy of Macbeth, The Sky is Everywhere. I don't think I watched that one. Oh, no, no, that's because it's that's the first one in 2022. The Tragedy of Macbeth, Red Rocket. So maybe I said one or two of those twice. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I did extra ones in. You'll just have to find out. That's how good we are. It's an interactive podcast. Did you enjoy the rewatch, Tim? I love the rewatch. I didn't think that any of these movies were actually bad. So it's kind of like choosing the least good of generally like pretty good crop of films. And the ones that I had seen and I liked, I, I think they hold up. Like I liked them again. So I think I'd seen maybe two thirds of them and some of them were new. Yeah. Um, but the ones that I had seen and I liked, I liked them still. They're good. How about you? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think there was a few, most of the ones I'd already seen, I was pretty confident in the ones that I, I really liked. Rewatched a couple of others, watched about three or four again, and then watched, I think, maybe four or five ones I hadn't seen. And funnily mm -hmm. enough, the ones that I hadn't seen were the ones that were basically contenders for the, the ones that I didn't mm -hmm. like so much. Whereas it was, well, the exciting part's always the best part, isn't it? Because it's better being positive. Uh, there was one that was a very definite hate. But overall, they, they're good films. I messaged you maybe three hours ago to say I've changed my mind. <laughs> they're all great films, apart from the one, but you're not going to remember them in 20 years' time. I don't think they're world-changing. No, I don't think they are world-changing. But when I did the rewatch, there, was, there were two that jumped out at me as being pretty special. And I think they will stick with me, even if they're not Zeitgeist films. When we rescheduled, I was supposed to rewatch them both. But I would just rewatch the first one. And it just, I was like, this is, this is just so good. And that's it. It's decision made. Without taking up any more time with procrastination. I'm going to start off worst film. <laughs> I'll start off with the worst film of A24 in 2021. Now, this is usually where we build up. Um, we usually build it up and I try and 
do a little bit of misdirection, a little bit of curiosity in the way I introduce it. But unfortunately, all that's in the title of the episode. So I'm just going to go in and say this is one of the most obnoxiously fucking pretentious films I have ever seen in my life. It couldn't be more connoisseurish if it sat in front of a window while it was raining outside, wearing a black beret, a turtleneck, smoking a fucking cigarette. There is no situation in this film that doesn't make it feel manufactured. It's wooden and hammy at the same time. It's got one of the worst child actor performances I've ever seen. It's got one of the worst performances I've ever seen from an, an Academy level actor who's won an actual Academy Award for actor. I cringed from scene to scene. Every single scene felt like it stopped and it was saying the lines to me directly. The language was so preposterously, preposterously. It was shot, again, it was fucking black and white. Like, if you didn't want to see the level, like, there was no reason for this film to be black and white. It is, of course, come on, come on. The relationship between Wack and Phoenix and whatever the child actor had no warmth. I know that it's supposed to be a sort of fish out of water story. There are so many examples of these types of films done well. They just sort of fall through the film scene by scene. There's no narrative wall. There's no narrative glue. And by the time it gets to the end, I can't even remember if there was a happy ending in this. There probably was. But it was just watching an egotist fumble through an odd situation. Hated it. The only film on this list that I hated. Hmm. Hates it. I thought it was bad too. I don't think I hated it. There's one I did dislike more, but I think that got good reviews, didn't it? People it liked it. Bafflingly good reviews. That word that I've concocted, it's connoisseurist. It's made for people who want yeah. to say they like it because it's fucking highbrow. It's black yeah. and white. It's fucking... Um, no, it's shit. You can't make a good film art house by doing it in black and white like a, a weirdly attractive man that wears quietly fashionable clothes. Every single review that I checked this out loved it. They didn't just like it. Horrific. You hated the kid too, right? I fucking hated every part of it. If yeah. the kid had died in the film, it wouldn't have affected me. I think the heyday of kid acting has got to be the 80s. And ever since then, it's just like more or less shit. If there's a kid in a movie that plays a prominent role, it's automatically loses like two letter grades for me. Do you know who one of the worst at directing children is? Sam Rami. Oh, really? Think about the two boys in One Division. Atrocious oh, at directing yeah. children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So wooden, so hammy. It was like watching a 90s sitcom. I know that was in tune with One Division, but that was not Multiverse of Madness. <laughs> that was not how that right. was supposed to go. Shane, if this isn't your film, mate, but if it isn't this, then I'm going to be horrendously, horrifically disappointed. So why don't you go next? Uh, come on, come on, maybe cry. Okay. I thought it was really good. I'm not even joking. Uh, at one point, at one point, it was in my top five no. uh, uh, to choose from. I thought it was, I genuinely enjoyed it. Really? So, yeah. And I, the thing is, from about halfway through, I knew it was going to make me cry. I just didn't know when. <laughs> uh, I liked the relationship between Joaquin Phoenix and the young lad. I liked the fact that I couldn't picture where his sister was from. And then I realized she was the little girl in Uncle Buck. I loved it. I appreciated the black and white. It was like an homage to 1960s, 1970s photography, especially in uh, like New York. Yeah, I enjoyed it. But again, five months later, it's not going to stay with me. 
Tim, he's your friend, isn't he? You invited him onto the podcast. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thanks. So what's your worst film? Come on. Come on. <laughs> My worst film is the film that I genuinely expected everyone to choose. It, I mean, it had a good performance by James Bond. I decided to choose uh, False Positive, <sighs> which is a okay, shocking guys. film. I that's mine too. I think we did this last time. <laughs> we did like with our favorites. Yeah, that's also my yeah. false positive. I don't actually think there's a single redeeming thing no, with the entire good. film. I can appreciate the narrative that it was trying to thread through. You were unsure if she was an unreliable narrator or if she was being manipulated by the men around her. It didn't structure itself right. The acting was terrible. Mm -hmm. With the exception of Pierce Brosnan, who knew it was a bad film, you could tell he knows hamming it up. And you could tell it was written by the star, well, co-written by the star. I can't remember a, a decent film that has a conversation with a couple facing each other in a mirror. How they set every single scene. The woman trying to free herself from the grasp of men. Terrible. I had to Google as well, how do you store sperm? Which is not something you want on your Google search history. Because <laughs> when they, they like destroy the, the, you know, the, the lab that he's in and there's just oh, like a, a, a torrent of spunk leaking everywhere. Just disgusting. Just it was terrible. So gratuitous. Like the whole thing about the ending with unreliable narration, you can understand that she's not sure if it's her hormones making her feel this way. But the fact that they have the dead fetus feeding from her breast takes it away from, from the story. And it makes you then doubt everything else you've seen. Maybe she is an unreliable narrator. Um, and that detracts from the, the message it was trying to show that. Obviously, women are manipulated and controlled by the men in their lives. In my defense, this is a worse film than Come On, Come On. I can almost forgive a bad film for being bad. What I don't like is pretense. Pretense is the killer for me. But I can absolutely accept that False Positive is the worst film on this list. But it's not, <laughs> it's not my worst film. It was definitely my worst film. I actually had high hopes for this one because I really like Alana Glazer. I loved her show, Broad City. I don't know if you guys ever seen that. It's excellent. No. no. I didn't um, like it so much. But oh, I love that show. And, and I generally not. like movies that at least attempt to upend like cultural narrative about pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. This idea that like it's a blissful experience that gives a woman's life meaning and purpose and shuns any ambivalence about it. And and where any concerns that she has about her pregnancy are just like mommy brain, which is so dismissive. So I, I like movies that that take that approach. So so far, so good. I think conceptually, at the 30,000 foot level, the movie works as an idea. But ultimately, I think it just it comes off as just a cheap knockoff of Rosemary's Baby. It's filled with like tired commentary about how women can have it all. Also preternaturally gifted at her job. And it's basically like a think piece. That's what it aspires to be. It's not a film. It's like, like a filmed think piece. What was radical in 1968 is just tired in 2021. Like Rosemary's Baby, it's still, it's still contemporary in some ways. Very lazy. It's not dark enough to be scary. It's not funny yeah. enough to be entertaining. And it's not smart enough to be the think piece that it, it aspires to be. I just found it ponderous. You feel that they don't know the film that they were trying to make either. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I don't think Pierce Brosnan's like that good of an actor, but he definitely knows how to have fun and he was having fun with us, you could tell. Uh, what should we do? Should we, Tim, do you want to carry on with your best film? All right, sure. 
So my best film is Zola. I love Zola. Oh, that was the one I almost chose. That was the oh, one, really? one that would, would have, yeah, that and the one I chose for my last two. But go on, go on, okay. go on. It's so good. Okay. So I love this movie. It, I think it's a horror film, actually, ultimately, about like exploit, exploitation and coercion at the hands of like these repulsive men. So it's based on a Twitter thread that the Zola character went viral about her. I think the film sort of embellishes the Twitter thread. I've never actually read it, yeah, but yeah. I read that it embellishes the Twitter thread. But it's about basically like her life as a stripper, this girl she meets and like all the crazy stuff that happens. She's baited and switched. She thinks she's going to strip in Tampa and then really she's like being pimped out with this other gal. So that's cool. And I think they did a lot, a lot of really great things in expressing social media and like especially Twitter. Mm-hmm. I like that they had two narrators. Zola and what's the other what's the other girl's name? Do you remember the blonde, the Riley Keough character? That's fine, the Riley Keough. Okay, they both speak directly to the audience. So there's like two narrators, and we don't know who, if either of them, is reliable because both characters are performing, you know, for the audience. And I think it's very smart because it illustrates how social media and especially Twitter thrives. <clears throat> Not so much on disseminating information. We, we tend to think of it as like, um, oh, you get information, you get news from Twitter, or you can have conversations. It's really not about that. You can get those things, but it's really about performance. Like social media is about performance. And so I think it's very smart to have these, these narrators performing for the audience, not just performing in the movie, but having a second layer of performance. So it is a coming of age tale, but it's also like a coming of voice tale as well. And I, I think it shows how social media can sort of repackage some like kernels of truth into like content yeah, rather yeah. than experiences that we should sort of like honestly reckon with. In this case, like coercion, you know, being pimped out, all sorts of crazy shit, like assault, mm. having a gun put to your head. Like those are serious things that would deserve, I think, serious contemplation. But they do a good job of like really diving into that. But it's always mm. light. There's always a comedic element to it. They like tilt that line very, very well. And there's just like little details, like all the title cards are, are written in Helvetica, which is so great because that's like a digital only font. And then like in, in lieu of uh, a soundtrack, like there's little like vibrations or like Twitter, like tweets, the sounds that sort of like fill out these critical moments. And every, and every layer, it's great. I love it. So astute. And yeah. It's not necessarily tension, but you're never too sure where it goes. And then at the end, boyfriend who's tried to get her to stop, um, stick to stripping and not prostituting herself. And all the way there's the battle between the two. He's kidding himself because he loves her. And, you know, if he was to lose her, then he'd be taking a step down. Like he ha- to have her, you have to have the whole package sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, it's just a truly... The whole film just is sudden. It's got and a lot of momentum. Even at the end, it doesn't feel like an end. Like you're, you're grasping and clawing to find out what is next for all the people involved in this. And the pimp I, I complete- is just a complete piece of shit. And it's not in the way that you're informed. About. He shows us what a piece of shit he is all the way through. Like you're yeah. was irredeemable. You genuinely feel it. I agree completely that the ending, you it doesn't feel like an ending and you don't really know where it's going to go. In fact, the very last scene, I think really does a lot with that. That's where they're driving on the highway back to, yeah, back yeah. to wherever. I can't remember where they're from. Like 
yeah, wherever. So they're driving from Florida to wherever they live. There's doo-wop music, like old 50s music on the radio. It's like a bright, sunny day. And that happy, feel-good imagery juxtaposed against like all the crazy shit that they just went through. It asks you to sort of like contemplate, like, what kind of story is this? Like, you're never yeah, really yeah. sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, it, I think the performances were excellent, too. Like, the Riley Keogh is just like perfectly vapid as like oh, the, the girl, cousin Greg, I can't remember his name, but the guy from Succession, he plays that like cuckolded boyfriend yeah, um, yeah. living in a constant state of like panic. He plays that so well. And then Domingo, of course, the pimp is hilarious and, and terrifying. Like he's both. Mm. I think Taylor Page, the Zola character, she should be a, like an actual movie star. She's awesome. Yeah, legitimately. It's a rare film where you can't find fault with it. Yeah. Choice. Well, I have just realized, I think I missed it off the oh. list. Because <laughs> you're talking about it. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I've not seen this one. You so gotta watch it. Uh, I'm going to have to go back and see that one. I, no, I, I, had, I was even ticking it. off which ones <laughs> I'd watched. Episode cancelled. We're going to reschedule for November. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, bye. Uh, we were up until two hours ago, or three hours ago. I was going to pick Minara. It's another film that made me cry. It's about a, a Korean family just trying to make a life for themselves in America. I enjoyed the subtlety of, you can pick it up slightly with the subtitles. Each of the members of the family speaks a different, has a different ability with Korean. So mm. even as a family, they can't quite communicate properly. I was also going to choose, Don't be a uh, this, <laughs> but we can't have souvenir part one and two. No. I wanted to do yeah. part, yeah, so. But no, in the end, I went with The Green Knight. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, it, it's, it's perfect symmetry, really, with false positive. One is about what it is to be a, a woman, and the other is what it is to be a man. And it, it's a journey of how he... I wouldn't even say he finds his honor. He realizes what it is to be oppressed by toxic masculinity. The film is about a uh, Owen, uh, King Arthur's nephew, who undertakes a game with the titular Green Knight. And whatever blow he struck the Green Knight, in this case, he, he decapitated him. One year from that day, the Green Knight was going to return that blow on him. And it's the journey that he undertakes. It was stunningly, stunningly cinematic. There are so many scenes that if they were paintings, they would be masterpieces, especially the final shots in the dilapidated church. Gorgeous. The entire thing's really dark, but every time there is some sort of heroic act, you can, it illuminates just slightly. You see how King Arthur tells everyone how he values peace and looks after a, a prosperous country. But the first shot of the country you see, it's on fire and there's bodies everywhere. And it's about escaping what people believe is heroic and what people believe is the right way for a, a man to act. Uh, yeah, I loved every part of it. It's, of course, a part of the Joel Edgerton, Sean Harris trilogy. They were only to make films together for the rest of the days. What was the one that we watched? The Stranger. The Stranger, right, right, right. 
I love this movie too. I heard a lot of criticism, like some people were bored by it, like it's just kind of plotting. I didn't think that. I hear a lot of people saying about midway through, there's a very, very slow 360 degree pan where it reveals a premonition about what would happen if he decided to do nothing. Carried on the way his life up until that point. It was well-placed and it made sense at the end of the film when once again, he sees a vision of what would happen if he carried on the way he was going and he Mm -hmm. didn't learn anything. Did you watch the post-credit scene? I think it was warm. There is the post-credit scene. David Laura, Laura even said he wanted it to be as ambiguous as possible. After the credits, you see that he has had a daughter because the daughter's playing with his crown. So he makes it back. And obviously in the original poem, he makes it back as well. I appreciate the, the bits with his mum, Morgan Le Fay, and mm-hmm. how you can see how she's manipulated him throughout the entire journey. Even when they get to the castle, she's there because obviously the, the old lady is her. His face is superimposed onto the Green Knights at varying points throughout the film. So you Mm -hmm. know that Joel Edgerton and the Green Knight are the same person. And she chose the prostitute's face that at the beginning of the film asks, will you marry me and make me a lady? And he declines. And then she chooses her face to go on to the lady. And, you know, he realizes that maybe having a lady for a wife isn't all that special. But yeah, it was a great film. I really enjoyed it. It's just one of the most beautiful films that have been produced in the last few years. There's just no two ways mm-hmm. about it. Yeah, yeah. Totally. I'm so excited to talk about this film. It works is almost a perfect dark comedy, but it's also a brilliant character study. It's from absolute master in the craft of small budget filmmaking. One of the cast members was a washed-up MTV host that was now only famous as a Vine comedian. One of the supporting actresses was plucked off the street. He just looked at her and said, you're the person that's going to play this character. He likes that the actors are almost faceless so that you only know them as their role. There's no baggage from the roles. And And obviously it keeps the budget down, but also it makes it a lot more specific to his film. The director is Sean Baker, and the film is Red Rocket. I absolutely (laughs) fucking adore this film. To go back to the filmmaker, he is so technically adept that it's kind of like um, a small-scale camera. He shot the whole thing on 16mm film, but obviously the aspect ratio of that doesn't provide for cinematic, so they used an anamorphic lens to give it a widescreen modern look, but then it was still on film to give it an indie. There was only a four-man camera crew, there was only a ten-man crew, and the benefits for such a small-budget film like this is that, one, there's the camaraderie, but it's also more manoeuvrable. There's no character in this that doesn't have agency. There's nobody that isn't in control. All the people in the film make positive, determined choices. And when you're looking at um, Simon Rex's character, Mikey, that is just a a manipulative, selfish, self-absorbed lead character, even... Susanna Son's character, the young girl. So, sorry, yeah, the, the plot basically, retired porn um, star goes back to his small Texas town and he puts himself on to what you think is his ex-wife, but it's actually still his wife and her mother. Now, she's also an ex-porn star and you find out the complications of how she's earning money at the moment. 
and he enamors himself to the family and gets back in the good butts. He just has that shitbag charm. It's a stupid charm that almost relies on dumb luck and it has a kind of resilience via persistence. You start questioning sometimes, does he actually know how to be a good person in the instances where he is? Or is he just adopting that persona? Or is he just too stupid to even realise that he's being absolutely horrific to every single person that he encounters? The main theme is performance. What level are we comfortable with? What happens after the crash, the, the motorway pileup, and then he sort of pressures his friend into taking all the blame for it. There's mm. um, a performance of Brie Elrond, his wife's character, with the press afterwards when they're being interviewed. There's even the, a scene where his friend is in a mall pretending to be ex-armed forces, falling on hard times. There's even a part of the film where, because it's set in the Clinton-Trump election period, and there's even a clip of Trump on the television, and we all know how performative that election was. I think the whole film was about how much everybody puts on a performance in different situations. What level are we comfortable with? And kind of what justifications do we give ourselves? I've got so much to say about it, but yeah. It's bold. It's not afraid to make really tragic circumstances darkly comedic. Brie Elrond and her mother, the way that they are together, it's like a perfect double act. And sometimes they're really heartwarming, but then they can just cut through a scene. Like at the end when they finally get rid of him. It's got everything. It's got everything. It is a truly modern film. Yeah, their strongest movies are have this modern style like aesthetic that red rocket zola very modern even yep. the green knight the way it's shot quite modern they just excel at that how it was filmed gave it that realism it was like a gorilla the gorilla nature it was filmed in you know the the fight in the donut parking lot yeah passers-by were calling the police on them while they were fighting really? so i enjoyed it i enjoyed uh i yeah enjoyed the lead i thought he was great i can't understand why he he was nominated for nothing it was getting good critical reception but it just didn't go anywhere well, the lead actor was saying when all the screeners went out, he was approached by Joaquin Phoenix, Leonardo DiCaprio. Because apparently when he was, because he's the guy that was an MTV presenter and he's got this really awkward, <laughs> really awkward interview with Tupac Shakur that lasts all of one minute long before they go to a break. <laughs> but apparently he was like a bit of a party boy in the, in the 90s when MTV, that, mm. MT, that was the MTV age. When he got a little bit of heat from this film again, like he was bumping into all these young actors who at the time were on the same party circuit. And yeah, like I said, Leonardo DiCaprio, whacking Phoenix. Although hearing the guy talk, I don't know how much of this was actually an act. The director, yeah, Sean Baker, as opposed to interpreted him as an actor, I think he actually interpreted him as a, <laughs> as a person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it reminded me of Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler. Mickey Rourke's career was over, as was the rest of the, his character's wrestling career. Do you know he didn't get paid for that? Aronofsky went to him and said, do you want to be in films again? And he went, yeah. He went, can you turn up on time and be sober? And he went, yeah, I'm not going to pay you, but if it goes well you'll get paid by other people afterwards. Well, he made the right decision. Yeah, well, yeah so, I mean, he ended up in the, he's an M, he's in the MCU. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. And I think, I think now when you go back to films like Iron Man 2, obviously I'm a huge advocate for Dark World, but Iron Man 2's not that bad. Just in Hammer alone, 
I'm trying to think of what Tony Stark's arc is. He took himself away from an arms business to be something that is counter arms. Again, the irony is that he's provided the blueprint for a new kind of arms race. And that is a lot more sophisticated story than people give it credit for. Mickey Rourke looked like a comic book villain and there was some depth of it. There's a little bit of backstory, but he was also how he played off Sam Rockwell. Not to my point. <laughs> I mean, look, you put that in the last Raptor films and we're saying it's probably the best of the year. <laughs> oh, and yeah, go back to what you said about how intimate the film was. Part of that comes from having such a small brew that you can get on top of the scene. Yeah, he's famous for it though. Like he did Tangerine and the Willem Dafoe one, Florida Project. Yes, uh, and it's the, it's oh, yeah, yeah. it's like they're filmed in the same neighborhood. They're not, but it is. It's almost like they're filmed in the same neighborhood. Yeah, I do love it. Did I tell you I loved it? I I knew you loved it. You came into uh, the shop where I work after you went to the cinema to see it, and I knew like he really liked this film. <laughs> <laughs> if you called the cinema my laptop in a hooky website. <laughs> no, you went. Um, this was like in two thousand in twenty twenty one. I've never seen it at the pictures. Then you fibbed. Well, probably did, but I wasn't. You, a bit you didn't. A you didn't trust that I wouldn't grass you up to the feds. <laughs> yeah, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't steal a car. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Touché. <laughs> so shall we wrap it up and let Tim get some well-earned rest? Yes. And you guys get some rest too. What time is it over there? Um, I don't know. About Four minutes o'clock. past one. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. I love these episodes. And yeah. we have a schedule now, so they're going to be one a month. And I won't spoil what the topics are going to be, but they're quite varied. The next one's going to be a more Hollywood one, and then we're going to kind of do a nice little indie one and sandwich them one after the other. So I won't tell you what the next one is, but let's just say if you like your superheroes in and your comic stuff, <laughs> then this one's going to be up your street right yeah. up it. <laughs> I'm going to say thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm going to say like, share, follow, subscribe. If this is on YouTube, if I've got around to doing it for YouTube, then you can find the podcast on all your favorite locations. We are the end underscore pod, and you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as well. But we don't copy and repeat. We do different content on each on each platform. Yeah, thanks, guys. This is a lot of fun. Another uh, good uh, best and worst. Um, looking forward to the next one. Yeah, you and me both, mate. I'm glad we finally got this one out of the way. But I am looking forward to the next one because I think me and Tim might have different choices, which would be good. Well, I was speaking to Shane without carrying the, the episode on as we're bidding farewell. But I said to Shane, should we do this? Or should we just, you know, it's not going to be too much for when all three of our answers are the same film. And he goes, nope, you don't have to worry about that, friend. <laughs> 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 I almost said what film it was going to be, and that would have been a little bit of a spoiler which we don't want to do so you should be you should be able to tell to be honest well let's not go into too much detail no 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 (laughs) so like follow share comment and that only leaves me one more thing to say as always we have been and this is best movie worst movie (laughs) (laughs) the end